welcome to the Disc Dump Podcast. I'm your host, Miles Trout, and I'm on a mission to declutter my house one disc at a time. Hello and welcome to the Disc Dump Podcast. I'm your host, Miles Trout, and this is the show where we watch movies, play games, or listen to music in an effort to decide, are we going to keep the disc or are we going to dump it? Today is an episode I'm so excited for because <laughs> we are talking Slipknot, and joining me today is Cam from Spy Hearts. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Really, really excited to be here. I think this episode will be sick. I think so, too. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Uh, so, yeah, we're talking about Volume 3, The Subliminal Verses. But first, a brief history. Go! Formed in 1995, this band from Iowa has nine members. They each wear masks and jumpsuits on stage, and they play very hardcore music. Their first album was self-titled and was a huge success in the heavy metal industry. They went on to produce five more studio albums and were nominated for ten Grammy Awards. In 2006, Slipknot won a Grammy for Best Metal Performance. This band calls their fans maggots, but they are, and were, intensely popular since pretty much the early 2000s, and they remain a prominent band through to this day. So tell me, Cam, what did your life look like when you were into this CD? Okay, so I was a Slipknot fan big time. I remember, um, I guess my origin story with Slipknot really goes back to the very beginning of them. I was at, in Vancouver, I don't know if you remember OzFest. OzFest oh, was yeah. big. Yeah, OzFest was like a big annual summer tour that would roll in and you would get like, I don't know, like 30 metal bands. And it became kind of the mecca for finding the exciting new bands. And we only had one OzFest come to Vancouver. The other ones I all traveled out to various states, whether it was Washington State or Denver to see the other ones. But we got the OzFest 99 in Vancouver. And, you know, the headliner was um, was Ozzy, or Black Sabbath, I believe, that year. But it was uh, Rob Zombie. That's the reason I was going. I was big into Rob Zombie. Rob Zombie was kind of the artist that turned me into someone who appreciated heavy metal slash hard rock, whoever you want to classify Rob Zombie. I don't want to offend the people yeah. that are more hardcore, but um, I remember going and I was kind of a newbie and a lot of the bands didn't jump out to me. And this is, you know, we're there at like nine 30 in the morning. It's all second stage stuff. So it's a small stage. And I look back and I was seeing a lot of bands on those small stages. Like I think system of a down might've been there. Um, God smack were there. Static X were there. And it's just oh, yeah. like, at the time I'm like, Okay, I don't know who these guys are because no one did. Mm -hmm. But I will never forget this small little stage, you know, a couple hundred people watching and the album intro from the Slipknot album started and then they rushed the stage. The song Sick was what kicked off their set. It was like a 20 minute set and I remember it blew out my left eardrum. I was fairly oh. close to the speaker and I was in pain for the rest of the day Jeez. and no one knew what to make of them like it was genuinely baffling like you know the other bands we all saw that day were like you know five guys longer hair you know barking into a mic you're like okay i understand this this was just like how many of them were there was there like 15 was there like 20 like what was that and so they didn't even have an album out at that point 
And so it was a couple, maybe like a month or two later, their album came out and I got it and really fell in love with it. Fell in love with Iowa as well, which was more controversial as an album. But I was on board for volume three. And I remember um, I was actually traveling in New Zealand and Australia when this album was coming out. Yeah. So this album holds a very special place, volume three. And I remember being in New Zealand and, you know, going to internet cafes because we didn't have smartphones in 2005 and tracking the buildup to this album on sites like SMN News, and um, which was kind of like the precursor to stuff like Blabbermouth. And um, the reviews for the album started getting really good. And I remember Entertainment Weekly gave it like an A minus and was like, these guys, you know, are delivering serious quality music. And I remember... Iowa had gotten really crappy reviews in more of the mainstream kind of press. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, holy crap, what is this album? And I remember going, the day it was released, I was in, I think, Sydney, Australia at that point, going and buying it the day of. And it became my soundtrack to so many late night bus trips and, um, you know, plane trips throughout Australia. It's very much connected to the kind of that two and a half months of adventure I had when I was 24 years old. Yeah, that's awesome, though. Wow, there's a whole lot of things I want to talk about in that story. <laughs> but they, uh, yeah, that's, oh, man. When I, I went to OzFest, and that's what got me off of, like, radio rock music and into some, like, hardcore shit. And uh, I wish Slipknot was there when I was there, but they were not. But Will Smith was, which was kind of weird, because his wife is in a screamo band. And then like oh while they were on, while they were doing a set, Will Smith just came out and was like just banging his head, getting everyone all hyped. And then he went backstage. And I never saw him again, but it was pretty cool. <laughs> I that's right. She did perform at Ozfest. Was that like 2003 or something like that? I was thinking like seven or eight. Eight oh, is what okay. I meant. So she was there for that one. Okay, I think I did see her at an earlier one. I didn't see Will Smith, but that's oh my god, I've completely forgotten about that. Yeah, they weren't half bad, too. I, I liked them. And I saw, like, so many bands that got huge, like, in this moment and, like, shit like that. And I had no respect for them in the day. And then the next day, I went to listen to, like, regular rock music. I'm like, you know, this doesn't have that bite I really learned to like when I was at OzFest. And, uh, yeah, that's that's where my love of music like this came up. But I can't believe you've seen them in concert. How many times have you seen them in concert? Okay, let's think about this here. I think I saw them just at Ozfest off their first album um i saw them twice for iowa both at Ozfest as well as um one of my great concert memories was actually shortly after 9 11 um there was something called the pledge of allegiance tour and we were going to see it in tacoma and there was a lot of questions because this concert was happening very shortly after 9 11 like maybe 10 days or something like that mm -hmm. and there was a lot of questions of would this concert happen was it appropriate um, we, you know, I'm Canadian. And so there was a little bit of, um, you know, anxiety, even just about crossing the border at that point. Like, is this going to be some issues? And it was a, uh, four band lineup. It was Mudvayne, Ramstein, System of a Down, Fresh Off Toxicity. This is their first tour off Toxicity and Slipknot performing for Iowa. And Dude, a hell of a lineup. It was, which is why we were like, oh, I hope this concert does happen because what a lineup. You'll never see this again. And I remember that being like one of the most special concerts I've ever been to. And some people might roll their eyes because a lot of those are kind of those new metal bands people kind of roll their eyes at, you know, not so much System of a Down who had more of a uh, more. They got more respect artistically. But I remember that that concert, 
each band had something to say. Like each band took a moment to address the crowd about how important this experience was. And it was also like all four bands showed up that night to be like, okay, people need an escape. We need to put on the best show humanly possible. And so like, you know, Mudvayne opened. They were absolutely incredible. And then Rammstein came out, blew them even more away. And then it just kept building and building. I remember Slipknot was the last band and it was really like, okay, System of a Down have just put on the greatest show I've ever seen them give. What I, I don't know that Slipknot can compete considering this is coming off the, you know, the mm-hmm. uh, Chop Suey uh, song. This is a big time for System. And Slipknot came out and it was the most incredible Slipknot concert I've ever seen. Like it was just huge production values. The band was on point. I remember Car- uh, Corey at a certain point, singer, took a break and just gave a big address to the whole audience about the importance of the metal community and sticking together through times like that. And it was just such a special event. And I know that sounds silly. Like a lot of people would look at Slipknot and be like, well, they are just, you know, nine guys in masks jumping up and down, but it was a very cool night. But I think I've seen them since that on every tour. I think the, the most recent album. Yeah. um, The most recent uh, tour they didn't have a Vancouver date, you know, and then obviously things got cut short by the pandemic. I don't know if they would have added one. I would have seen them if it had come through, but I've seen them on every album tour. Otherwise. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. I, uh, I haven't listened to any of their music after the gray chapter. I just haven't had a place in my life for it at th- those times since then. So I was like, what, 2015. So I'm mm-hmm. sure they have at least one more after that. Right. Yeah, they have their latest album, which is actually really fantastic. One of their best, I would say. Okay. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check out more. I've been on such a Slipknot rampage for the past like week. <laughs> I'm just like telling everyone, I'm like, did you know this about Slipknot? <laughs> so, man, I fucking love this band. I learned how to that I learned that I like Slipknot because when I played football, played is a really strong word for what I did on the football team. Um, but when I was on the football team, they would play Pulse of the Maggots before we would come out. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but I fucking love it. And they're like, it's Slipknot, bro. Here, check this out. So my friend Matt Sharon, he got me into it. And man, I haven't looked back. It's been so much Slipknot in my life. I fucking love this band. Uh, specifically this CD, because... I, my first car was an O2 Dodge Neon, and it came with a four-disc changer in it, and the only disc that was in there from the day I got it, which was like sometime in 2004 or five, no, more than that, six or seven. Anyway, so sometime in 2006 or seven, I put this album in that four-disc changer, and it didn't come out until 2017 when I got rid of the car. So this wow. is one of my favorite albums ever. Well, it was a really fascinating album, especially at the time, because the first two Slipknot albums were, I mean, they sold very well. Iowa less so. Remember Iowa? There was kind of that question mark of like, well, is that it? Were these guys a flash in the pan? Maybe. Because while a lot of the fans enjoyed that album a lot, I was a big fan of Iowa. It did not sell anywhere near as well as their first album initially. And Mm -hmm. reviews were kind of lousy. People were more polarized. And so it was kind of like, well, maybe that's it. And... I always loved how Slipknot very much embraced nihilism. Like they had no irony about them whatsoever. All other bands that, you know, there was a lot of bands that had darker edges to them, whether it was Korn, uh, Marilyn Manson, um, Nine Inch Nails, whatever. They always kind of had a bit of a sense of humor and Slipknot came in and they're just like, we have no sense of humor, really. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We take this entirely seriously. And they committed to the bit hardcore. And 
I remember this album coming out and it was, it was exciting as a fan of the band to see them kind of sneak in the back door. I mean, they mm-hmm. won a Grammy for this album. Yeah. Um, this album sold very well. It was produced by one of the biggest producers going in, you know, music. It was Rick Rubin who did, you know, Beastie Boys, Metallica, Johnny Cash. Like he was so hugely respected. I know the experience working with him wasn't necessarily the favorite of everyone involved in Slipknot, but nonetheless, it was like a level of prestige and acceptance that this band was being given that almost didn't make sense. And it was exciting. It felt again, kind of like the, uh, the rebels sneaking in the back door. Yeah, that, that's a good way to put it. Cause the people I've talked to who are like hardcore Slipknot fans are like, that album's trash because that's when they went mainstream. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah, they went mainstream and won a Grammy, but they also fucking kick so hard on this album. Like, it's so such an incredible album. Like, we can go through each song individually and like talk about them here in a little bit. But like, songs like "The Blister" exist. There is nothing mainstream about that shit. That shit is fucking awesome. I remember hearing that the first time, and this was in Australia. I remember sitting in a hostel. And I only had a few minutes before we were going out to go explore something or other in Sydney. And I remember having, you know, maybe like 10 minutes or something to listen and hearing that song and the military drums kick in, Corey acting like a deranged, like Patton figure addressing a crowd. I was like, holy crap, like they are delivering. And the single for, um, oh, whatchamacallit, the, um, oh my God, I'm totally blanking, um, um, Duality had been out. So I'd heard Duality, which did sound a little more mainstream friendly, mm-hmm. but kicking it off with the Blister Exists in 3-0, I was like, oh my God, like yeah. they have delivered. Like this is the Slipknot I love, but with more texture. And I think a lot of people could point fingers and say, well, they went more mainstream, but I don't know that it was sustainable to keep doing albums like Iowa. I mm-hmm. think they needed to work in a little more diversity. And I think that's why they're still i mean they've become almost like the elder statesmen of their type of metal i mean the guys are you know in their mid to mid to late 40s now i think a couple of them are in their 50s um they're still playing stadiums their albums are still doing very well i think they needed to do what they did to continue Mm -hmm. they're when i went to ozfest they were not there but they made such an impact on the music industry that when I went there, which was, I think, 2008, half the bands on the small stage that I had never heard of wore costumes. And, like, that was super not a huge thing for a long time there. Like, it was all about hair metal and shit in the 80s where everyone just had blonde mullets. And then it kind of went grungy. And then these dudes just, like, kicked right through the plaid and stepped out. And were like, we're fucking badasses. And they totally, they totally are. And, it like, just the fact that they were able to be like, okay, everybody buy a jumpsuit. Now let's all design these silly masks, but take it pretty seriously. Like, all of that shit worked out so well for them. It did. And what I appreciated, too, about their popularity was, you know, a lot of those bands you referenced who showed up on OzFest in the coming years, Mudvayne, Mushroom Head. Um, Mushroom Head, I guess, in their defense, had been doing the costume and mask thing, I think, well before even Slipknot started. Yeah, they were um, doing it a long time. But what it did was it kicked open the door for some unconventional bands that were actually really good. Like Mudvayne, their first album is one of the best new metal albums there is. And they kind of moved out of new metal going forward. But that first one, LD50, was fantastic. 
I and, love fucking Mudvayne. I liked the one that has like uh, forget to remember and uh, fall into sleep on it. I forget what what's that one called. Yeah. Oh my. It's uh. Oh god. I'm totally blanking on the name. I know. Yeah. It's got um. um it like remember. Lo- lo- Lost and found. Lost and found. That's it. Yes. That's oh my yeah. God. I love that album too. And I really got into Mushroom Head. Um, the only one I guess I remember seeing on Ozfest that didn't really go anywhere was Motigrader. Do you remember those guys? <laughs> I don't remember Motigrader. <laughs> Motigrader's shtick was that they all kind of wore kind of like scary looking tribal paint kind of thing. Okay. Um, and it was a larger group of guys. There may have been seven of them or something. And they had invented a new instrument called the Motigrader. <laughs> and it it involved cables of some sort. And I have the album. It's actually pretty listenable. It's a pretty fun album. But I have no idea what a Motigrader sounds like, even having listened to the album. <laughs> and <laughs> they only made it one album, split up. But the lead singer of Motigrader became the lead singer of Five Finger Death Punch, which is actually still pretty popular. So. Oh, okay. Okay. I was just uh, teaching my girlfriend about Five Finger Death Punch and why they suck now. So <laughs> that first Five Finger Death Punch album was fucking killer until they got rid of all the screaming and replaced it with singing. Who wasn't into yeah. that. But anyway, yeah. So like th- this genre evolved a lot. But I think that like Marilyn Manson and Slipknot and Rob Zombie are the only ones that really like had something sustainable as far as their act and they were like showmanship everybody else kind of evolved and changed over time pretty dramatically and but slipknot and marilyn manson maybe even alice cooper they all maintained exactly what they were from the beginning and every album that came out after that they were like still true to their sound and yeah most bands i can't really say that about no you can go back to you know alice cooper's a good example or kiss Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were bands in the past that had done that sort of gimmick, but it was just a different kind of approach to it. Like Alice Cooper, I know, tried to live the Alice Cooper lifestyle for a while and had severe substance abuse problems and said later, like, you can't do it. It's an act. You do it on stage and then you leave it. And mm-hmm. I think Kiss Kiss pretty much does the same thing. I don't think Kiss has ever really committed to, you know, playing uh, demons off stage. But there was something about that Marilyn Manson um slipknot period where it was like i mean rob zombie's more of that old school as well of like i'm not really you know (laughs) stomping around in a monster outfit off stage but the manson slipknot era felt like we live this life we commit to this and you would watch interviews with slipknot and especially the early interviews Mm -hmm. there is no winking whatsoever and even to this day clown the percussion player who wears the clown mask um he is still not letting on that this is a bit. This man believes this with everything he ever says. Yeah, I sent. Did you watch that uh, interview I sent you of them? Yeah, like, I did. Early days. Oh my god! It, was it is. Like, it's the most depressing press conference ever. It's like <laughs> nine guys in these like ridiculous outfits, staring at the floor, mumbling about like the darkness of the soul. <laughs> Being like, Iowa has the most fucked up people because there's nothing to do. And it's just like, okay. <laughs> so emo. But they uh, they've talked about in that interview their process, like how they all just like kind of get together and everybody brings something to the table and they talk about it. And if it's true to what they all think Slipknot is, it just gets put in. And like 
you can, especially in the first three albums, you really can hear that that's the process because every song evolves completely by the end of the song. Like nothing is super repetitive. It, they hit you hard in the face at the beginning and then Corey hits you with those hooks and then it just like tapers out into some weird shit. Every song is like completely different in that way. And oh, nobody else does it the way that they do it. You know what I mean? No, there's like a driving momentum to their music and their albums. And that I, I kind of liken it, and this is a uh, reference that comes well after the uh, formation of Slipknot, but, you know, you think of the movie Mad Max Fury Road, mm-hmm. where there's like the war party with the Doof Warrior playing the flaming guitar at the front, the percussive drums. That is what a Slipknot album and tour and, you know, uh, concert feels like. It's like, it's just like kind of runs you over and you mm-hmm. walk out going like, holy geez, like what did I just listen slash see? yeah they're oh my god i want to see them so bad like this was going to be the year for marilyn manson and slipknot 2020 was going to be it god damn it (laughs) didn't Mm. work out but we were originally going to talk about marilyn manson but he got into some trouble lately so we're not gonna what's the word i'm romanticize him too too much but like as far like not to be too controversial just that the fact that everyone's like, oh, no, he abuses women. It's like, have you seen him? Have you listened to his music? Like, that's what all of his music's about. So, yeah, I remember reading his autobiography back in the day. And there was certain points where you'd be like, oh, oh, no, like this sounds yeah. um, a little a little bleak and dark. I, I, I'm going to assume that this was, you know, um, maybe played up a little bit for the uh, tone of the book. Um, now, now I'm having question marks about that, but you know, in his era, he was very important. Like mechanical animals was one of the, one of the definitive albums of my young music listening life. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a, it's a really a bummer when people you very much admired artistically turn out to potentially be the worst human beings alive. So it's a bummer. Um, but you know, time and place, he was very important too. I, I don't know that necessarily I would have maybe hipped to Slipknot as much if um, you didn't have music like Rob Zombie or, or Marilyn Manson. Exactly. Yeah, like you can see where Slipknot came from and then what Slipknot did to the industry. And it's it's so wonderful. But I feel like their process also probably wasn't the most healthy because like in the, the interview, the funniest thing in the world to me, I'm going to make it into a meme. Uh, clown is sitting there going, we've broken each other's bones. And he's like, punch me in the face. And the guy just punches him in the face. He's like, I like it. And like, he's like, we've broken bones. We've trashed hotels. We broke a cappuccino maker. We And he just keeps going like the cappuccino maker was like a hallmark <laughs> moment in their career. <laughs> Motley crew. Motley Crue would yawn through that story. Right? (laughs) So, like, I fucking love that. But at the same time, in 2015, Mick got into a knife fight with his brother and got stabbed in the back of the head. Like, they are clearly extremely abusive towards each other, you know? like, And that's something you would actually see at the early shows, you know, whether it was the OzFest 99 or even the uh, Iowa tour would be you'd see them like full on just tackle each other to the ground. And there would be some really, you'd look at it and go like, these guys aren't, especially like clown is not that young. And he's like putting himself through a lot of punishment through these shows. And I can only imagine I'm on stage. He still delivers, but I have to imagine there's a lot of aches and pains on your average day for him. 
they were doing pretty crazy stuff. And I remember stories. I never saw it, but it was in the earlier days of their concerts. It was an act they would do where they would keep like a dead crow or something in a jar and they would breathe it and throw up on stage, things like that. Um, It was really, really crazy. You can't sustain that. You know, you see them now and they still deliver the intensity and the musicianship you would hope for. But there was something about those early concerts. It's like you literally didn't know what you were going to see. Like these, you know, these guys could get legitimately hurt at any at uh, any moment. Yeah, I saw a video of a Slipknot cover band. The one guy held up a keg for a security guard to hit it with a baseball bat. <laughs> he hits it and it bounces back and smashes him in the face. <laughs> Shit was so funny. But what they do is extremely dangerous. Like it's not just a couple like of three piece standing on a in a bar and playing guitar. Like these dudes were fucking showmen and i'm kind of not upset that i missed the days of them throwing up on the stage but at the same time like man i can't wait to see them and like i know i'm gonna see them at some point it's a little scary to think about moshing when i'm 30 so that Mm. that that frightens me a bit but you know (laughs) yeah yeah well uh, i'm at 40 so moshing really scares me at this point but (laughs) (laughs) i will say having done both mosh pit for slipknot as well as getting seats Either one delivers, like just to sit back even in seats and watch a Slipknot show, the amount that they're putting on, like visually, is just incredible just to observe. So I found like the intensity of the music, and that's a credit to them as a band and as performers, it does work beyond the mosh pit crowd. Like they are a band that's converted themselves into a stadium band very, very well. And I wouldn't say that for some bands, you know, like I've seen Disturbed, and I don't really know that they have worked the stadium very well. Um, but Slipknot have. Uh, fun story about Disturbed. So my very first concert was called the Rolling Rock Town Fair. They only did the one. And um, the band Finch was one of the openers. And they were going, oh, I don't understand why like Disturbed and Stained are the headliners here. We should be the headliners. We're just as big as they are. And they just started talking mad shit on Disturbed. And the lead singer of Disturbed came out and punched a dude in the face in the middle of his set. And then, like, all the security guards ran up and shit, and it was crazy. And, uh, yeah, that was the time I saw Disturbed was he got into a bit of trouble. And then when he was headlining at the end, he goes, for everyone who saw it, uh, we won, they lost. Fuck them. (laughs) So that was pretty cool. (laughs) But that was – they definitely put on a show that time, but I don't know if that's normally how they do things. Yeah, they were a little more theatrical at the start. I remember Disturbed, they would start the concerts with him in, like, an electric chair or in, like, a box breaking out. And then I remember, like later on, they just like just walk on stage, like, "Hey, mm-hmm. here we are." Yeah. That <laughs> was like, the okay. era I saw them in. Was they walked out and they're like, "Hey, we punch people in the face." <laughs> yeah, uh, I've always been a big fan of theatricality in concert performances. <laughs> when I'm citing Rob Zombie, Marilyn Manson, Slipknot, it's a mud vein. It's obviously very clear that that's kind of what I dig. But, um, but you know, you don't have to have master costumes. Nine Inch Nails are very theatrical as well, mm-hmm. and they deliver. Um, but that's something I've always very much appreciated about Slipknot is that they play it very much as like, you know, we're nine crazy guys from Iowa. But to create the spectacle that they do on stage takes a lot of work. And I know that artistically, in terms of like a vision for not just the music, but also just the visuals of the band, there's a lot of commitment going on, a lot of brainstorming, a lot of ideas being thrown around. And I think that's why that band continues to work, even though we should say, you know, this was a nine person band. This felt unsustainable. You're not going to mm. keep nine people together when, you know, Corn couldn't keep five people together. <laughs> right. um, 
And we have lost members over the years. You know, you had Joey Jordanson, the drummer, who back in the day was like the god everyone bowed down to on that stage. He left. And then, you know, the uh, bassist Paul Gray passed away from, you know, drugs. And it just was like, okay, this is it. This is the moment where this band loses their way. We're going to just see kind of diminishing returns. We've got, okay, well, now Mm -hmm. it's kind of like the three original guys writing a lot of the music. But I got to say, they continue to evolve and still make interesting music. So whatever spark there is just in that concept seems to really drive these members. And I've watched, you know, some of their DVD releases and watched interviews. They seem like very strange fellows. (laughs) All of them. (laughs) But it is kind of that inmates running the asylum. There's something about it that works when they are committed and focused on something. But I don't know that in their personal lives they're the most stable. No, especially not if they're getting into knife fights with each other and shit. <laughs> but Corey Taylor yeah. is is a drama queen. He like I subscribed to Loudwire and a couple other like rock and roll news uh, magazine tabloid shits, and he always has something to say. They're always like, and of course we went to Corey Taylor to see what he had to say. <laughs> so he's he's definitely dramatic. I, he was talking shit on Lincoln Park a couple days before Chester killed himself, and I'm like, mm. ooh, I don't know if that contributed but he none of them in slipknot seem particularly healthy <laughs> no and cory taylor i mean he's known as the great big mouth for a reason mm-hmm. um that's sort of his nickname and um <laughs> what i always appreciate though was like cory felt like one of the more exciting vocalists um when he emerged and that you know you'll see the first album and he's awesome in that album but then you would you know hear his side projects like stone sour and you'd go like, man, this guy's got range. I remember hearing the song he did for the Spider-Man soundtrack, Father, which wound up on the Stone Sour uh, first album, and being like, he can sing like this? Like, this is someone who can very much switch up how he sounds song to song, which is one of the most exciting things for me possible, is when a singer can, every song, do something different. And he continues to do that. That's why I think he is one of the best singers in metal. I agree, man. He's... He's incredible. My dad said that he watched live videos where it didn't sound like he could sing, but I'm sure he can because he's incredible. And uh, that song Bother Man, when I was an angsty teenager, it was like, nobody likes me. I just need to be in my room by myself. I would listen to the song Bother over and over (laughs) and over again. It's such a perfect, like, sad teenager song. Oh, man. I fucking love Corey Taylor. Um, so this seems like it's probably a pretty good moment for us to take a little break from talking about Slipknot for some ads and all that good stuff. We will be right back. Hey there. Do you like movies, cartoons, video games, anime, and everything in between? Then we have a show for you. The Four Nerds by Nerds podcast. Every week, Josh and Ben bring you all the latest and greatest in movie reviews, news, commentaries, interviews, special guests, and tons of bonus episodes. New episodes come out every Monday. We also make great nerdy content on our YouTube channel. You can find our show anywhere podcasts are found. The 4 Nerds by Nerds podcast. Your one stop for all your nerdy needs. Stay nerdy, my friends.
Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you're going to get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And be sure to add the disk dump in the how did you hear about Podgo section of the application. That'll help me a little bit. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Disc Dump, where I talk to Cam about Slipknot. I hope you guys are having at least half as much fun as I had during this conversation. I really enjoy Slipknot, and I was on a kick of it because we were doing this episode, but I still am listening to Slipknot every day, and it's been at least three weeks since we've recorded this. So, yeah, it's pretty hardcore. Thank you, Cam, for doing this episode with me. I appreciate you. And audience, be sure to check out the Spy Hards podcast to hear everything spy. It's a really good show. I never thought of, like, spies as a genre and stuff until I met these guys, and they are extremely thorough in their analyses of spy movies. I also want to do a fan shout-out for... Matthew Sharon. Hey, Matt, how's it going? Thank you for listening to this episode, and thank you for being the one who introduced me to Slipknot. I appreciate you, buddy. We'll have to get together real soon. And then one last plug. Uh, I'm not going to do all my social media stuff. How about my email? Uh, you can email me, discdumppod at gmail.com. That's D-I-S-C-D-U-M-P-P-O-D at gmail.com. Don't forget that little PP in there. It's important. And I want to give a quick plug to the new podcast that we're doing called Toast of the Realms. Toast of the Realms is a Dungeons and Dragons podcast hosted by yours truly. I will be the dungeon master and I am walking my friends through a game and it's they call it collaborative storytelling. So we're all kind of creating and acting and it's a really good time. We roll some dice on occasion, which is the core role of the game. So if ever you're interested in people who play games, I know there's a, a Twitch community of people who watch people play games so if you're into that or if you're into any of the like radio dramas because this is essentially a radio drama that has a game going on in the middle of it and uh yeah if you just are curious about dungeons and dragons and stuff we try and take it pretty slow as far as like the five textbooks worth of rules so we aren't super sticky on the rules it's a little bit more listenable than an actual game but we are definitely not critical role so yeah definitely check us out i would appreciate it toast of the realms Alrighty, back to the conversation about slipknot Welcome back, audience. Um, so you just said you did a power ranking on uh, the songs on this album. Do you want to go through that first, or do you want to just 
talk about all of them? Like, how do you want to do it? It's up to you. Look, why don't I give the numbers as we work through the track listing? I think that's more fun. Um, I will say this was a tough one to do. Uh, There's some Slipknot albums that have, I think, genuine filler. You know, I think mm-hmm. of like All Hope Is Gone. There's a couple songs in the back half of that album that you go, this feels a little more like Slipknot by the numbers. Just a couple of them. But yeah, this album is kind of all killer. So it was very tough to rank. And when I'm talking about the, you know, my last ranked song, it's probably still pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there are, I think there might be one stinker on here, maybe, but every song wins you over by the end of it. You know, mm-hmm. like, uh, so let's start off with number one Prelude 3.0. I said it was a weird mood setter, but it foreshadows all of the mellow songs that come up later, which you didn't know was going to come from Slipknot. You know what I mean? Yeah. I ranked this at number 14. So last place in the group. And that's for a couple of reasons. One, I like it. It's functional. It definitely, as you said, sets the, the tone for the album. But when I think of the album intros, and that's something Slipknot does really well, is album intros. When I think of the two off the, you know, the original self-titled album and off Iowa, those album intros, you are ready to run through a wall when yeah. those songs or when those initial tracks are over. Whereas this one, it's more moody. It has... The word I kept um, coming back to was haunted. And that's something it feels like they want to work in a lot of songs on this album. So it does effectively do that. It's just not like a can't wait to listen to that album intro over and over. And I think there's a reason they don't tend to play this intro in their live concerts that much versus the first two album intros. Yeah, that that makes sense. I just recently listened to uh, the first one and the second one. And Iowa didn't really do it for me because the first one is so fucking good. <laughs> the second one is pretty good, but oh man, that first one, that was a hard act to follow. Um, yeah. Anyway. So uh, number two is called the blister exists. And this is one of my all time favorite songs ever because Joey Jordanson is fucking awesome. <laughs> this landed, this was my number one. I think yeah. this is the best song on the album. Um, I, I cited the military drums earlier, but just I, I love how many of these Slipknot songs are kind of reframing or just establishing exactly who they are and what they represent to fandom and what Slipknot fandom means. That's what this song's all about. And there's a number of these songs, whether it's surfacing or um, people equal shit. Um, this is one of the best of those types of songs. It might be the best one. And by the time it's over and it's just descending into chaos and Corey's screaming over and over, I'm just like, I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's take on the world. <laughs> yeah, dude, this song, I am I would like, I didn't have rhythm before I listened to this song every day for five years. Like this song is so good. And just the, the drums and like his hook in the middle of it. Like, oh, it's so good. Everything about this song is good. I also ranked this as my number one song on this album. So I think this is definitely the best song. Um, but yeah, that's it the- is a amazing live song. Like just, oh my God, does it kill every time they perform this one live? I'm going to definitely sneak this one on at the end of the episode. So stay tuned folks at the end of the episode, you can hear uh, the blister exists and it's fucking awesome. (laughs) But that's not to say that three nil is a bad song because that song starts like a kick in the face and it gets those sick, nasty blast beats and it gets like so crazy. And that guitar riff, like you feel like you've been bitten by a dog and it's just like ragdolling you around. I fucking love it so much. (laughs) 
I rank this one at number seven. So it's kind of in the middle for me. And I wonder how much that has to do with the proximity to the blister exists, Mm -hmm. which is like pure Slipknot primal rage, not to uh, reference the (laughs) Super Nintendo dinosaur fighting game, but um, (laughs) it just has an amazing kickoff. And I don't know that any song could compare following up, especially a song that's a little bit similar in terms of energy and mood. Um, But three nil is pretty awesome. And I love the intro of just like the countdown. And mm-hmm. it's fairly subtle. And I say subtle in Slipknot terms of subtlety, not in terms of <laughs> <laughs> an actual subtle artist, but just like the kind of the whispered countdown leading into just the screaming. And you hear a lot of the samples and DJ work in this one too. And I always love when they can work that in and make it feel organic because I think that's something that Slipknot does very well is like that soundscape kind of feel. Mm-hmm. And I know they get mocked all the time to this day as... <laughs> You know, seven guys, you know, in the band are all banging on trash cans. But it's yeah. like <laughs> when you actually hear the sounds they're able to create, it's pretty amazing. I remember there was an anecdote. Um, I think it was OzFest. Uh, it might have been when they were doing Iowa. And Ozzy Osbourne was interviewed about the bands on that year's festival. And he said he was baffled by Slipknot. Like he didn't understand why, you know, they were on the main stage that year. And he didn't understand the popularity. He's like it seems insane. He said he would listen to the albums and just scratch his head, but he said that they were performing and he went backstage and listened, you know, without any of the distortion effects going on. And he said, he was like, Oh my God, like these guys are really fantastic musicians. And I think that comes through in songs like three nil. For sure. The middle of the song, like once you get kind of used to the, the riffs and shit, like you're kind of like, okay, so this is, this is the filler. This is where it starts to go pop. But then by the end of it, it's like, okay, no, no one can say this is a bad song. Like this is pretty well made. So that's, uh, that leads us into the most mainstream song. The reason I know who Slipknot is in general is duality. This song I learned about it because MTV News premiered the music video and I happened to be watching it when I was uh, 12. So that was when I heard Duality for the first time and it changed my fucking life. What do you think of this song? I actually ranked this as number two and that wasn't my plan originally. I thought, no, I'm sure there's other songs I'm going to rank ahead of this one. And yet... So when I was listening back to this album and I listened to it for about six or seven times before, um, you know, recording this, uh, this podcast, this, uh, this song just kept jumping out to me again and again. And I think it is that versatility of Corey Taylor's musical uh, delivery that just continues to grab me. I mean, it's always fun to hear him do his rapping. I know that yeah. they tried to get away from that after the first album because they wanted to avoid the new metal label. And yet it's so effective. And every time I see this song live, it is probably the biggest, it might be their biggest um, audience response song of any given concert. So, I mean, it is just so effective. The chorus kills. I I don't know. Like, where do you stand on this one? I fucking love this song. (laughs) Like, I didn't, when I was a kid, I thought like, okay, I suck at guitar, so maybe I should try singing. So I went after the singing gig for a little bit, and I, to this day, can't fathom the jumps through octaves and, like, the notes that he's able to hit 
like between each other like the transition is so quick between like i stick my fingers into my and then he like sings a note that i can't reach <laughs> like he's so good so like i really feel like this is the vocalist showcase is duality for sure i've never but yeah i agree i've never been able to understand how he can switch up his voice so quickly it's one of those skills and you will see him in concert and he, there are point, uh, points where you can tell he's out of breath Mm-hmm. But of course he is. <laughs> How could he not be at points? Yeah, I can't. I cannot fault him for that. Like in those early no. interviews, too, he sounds so hoarse when he's talking because he spends all of his time screaming. And now you hear him talk and he's like just so used to it and like such a master of his own voice that he sounds completely fine. And like I, he's so fucking his vocals are so brutal. And then he has wild range on top of that. And I just I feel like not even the singer of Corn, who I think is phenomenal. I don't even think that he Jonathan Taylor. No, Davis Davis. Yeah, Jonathan Davis. I don't even think that he has the kind of range that Corey Taylor has. I don't either. And I remember Jonathan Davis went through singing lessons to do the Untouchables album, because at that point he said, I really want to if I'm going to continue, I want to be a great singer versus doing what I've done on the first four albums, which is maybe a little more limited. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that he does learn to sing better, but I feel like Corey, those skills were there very early. Um, it wasn't something he grew into. It really feels like they're there on that first album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, oh man. He's fucking fantastic. Like this is the song duality that even like I could play it for my sister. And I like, I played it for a girl at work today and they were like, this is not bad. And I was like, yeah, this band is like the most hardcore shit you're ever going to find. So like, don't get used to that sound, but they are also capable of this. And they're like, I'm impressed. And I'm like, yeah, now listen to three nil. And they're like, Oh no, I don't think I'm in. <laughs> and actually this is one of the best uses. Um, this song duality of the corn smashing the beer keg with a baseball bat moments. Mm-hmm. Anytime that they can make that work effectively in songs like spit it out and hear, it really kills like you see that in an audience. And I know this tour, they were doing it with like flaming baseball bats and stuff. It's so awesome. Oh, so awesome. I want to see them in life so bad. Oh my God. Um, so the next song is called opium of the people. And if the last song was a singing showcase, this one is a guitar showcase. What do you think of this song? I ranked it at number 10. I put it a little lower and that, I think when you're looking at that blister exists three nil duality pack opium of the people feels like the odd one out. And notably it's a song that, I mean, they may have done it live in concert, but not very often. It's one of the ones that obviously didn't have, they knew which songs are the ones that were going to be the best to perform live. And this one isn't there, but it is, I think, as you said, it's a guitar showcase. Slipknot is a band that often, fell into that new metal kind of thing of not playing up the guitars very much. It was much more percussion, uh, percussion driven, which I mean, that is slipknot. You've got two percussionists plus a drummer that is going to be their thing, but you're, yeah, it's, you're right. This is where they start to experiment more with guitars. And I think this one actually has like a guitar solo, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I think it starts with a guitar solo. Right. Yeah. And you would see that in their next album, they would start to employ more guitar solos. Mm-hmm, exactly so when i said earlier i feel like there's a song that's a filler i feel like this is the one like it's a good song and like the guitars are fucking crazy but i wouldn't put this on like a playlist you know what i mean yeah to me some of these songs um the moments that stand out to me are more like Corey taylor lines because i've always liked that 
as much as the music has that sort of primal sound and some could even call it lunk-headed, um, yeah. Corey Taylor's lyrics are very like verbose. There's a lot of wordplay going on. He's using a lot of, you know, three or four syllable words. Like it felt like someone who's trying to write intelligent lyrics and then surround it with just like, <laughs> like, <Fury. laughs> yeah, an explosion going off at the boiler factory, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. <laughs> and there are some fun delivery moments here for him. Like, I always feel like he can save a song sometimes with just a vocal line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's especially true of songs like, uh, uh, I think the next song, actually, uh, Circle, uh, they... Oh, this is a weird one for Slipknot. There's a couple of weird ones for Slipknot on here. And this one, uh, they're legit playing chords. And that that bass is uh, more prominent than anything in this song. But, like, this was totally crazy. They have, like, cellos and shit. This is a, a good song, I think. But what do you think about it? Circle is one that... I put it at number 12, so towards the back of pretty much near the bottom of the album. And for me, it is the first step in where they're going to go as a band later, like to more success. I think of the song Snuff, for example, on All Hope is Gone. To me, that's the better example of what this is kind of trying to be. Um, I said up top, you know, with the uh, prelude uh, first track, that it feels like they're going for more of a haunted quality. That's very present in Circle. I also wonder, do you think Circle is something of a response to the popularity of Bother? Uh, Definitely. But I more so feel like, well, you're definitely not wrong. Like, that's absolutely true. He's like trying to, he's like, hey, guys, this song was really successful. I know that we're into like punching each other in the face, but you got an acoustic guitar? Like, I feel like that absolutely Mm. happened. But it's like the this song circle the next song welcome and the one after that vermilion i feel like those three songs together tell a story within the album so i feel like this is the introduction of the story which like escalates and then in vermilion it like hits the the height of the story so like as far as the beginning of a story i feel like this is all right you know what i mean yeah i mean you look at the first two albums and they had much more of a f you we are going to fight back against, you know, anyone who would look down on us. Like that was the mode. It was very much a aggressive stance. Like the band was kind of uh, adopting there, or you could argue faking depending on where you, uh, you know, stand on these slipknot criticisms. But um, with songs like circle, it feels much more of a more reflective approach to songwriting that Corey's working in that it felt like songs dealing with, and I know Corey's had a very rough life uh you read the stories on him you know his young life was very fraught with a lot of issues and you know a lot of mental health issues substance issue, uh, issues all that sort of thing um and it feels like some of those past songs were about unleashing the anger that was pent up about that those experiences whereas i feel like songs like circle are about actually facing them and dealing with them in a more mature way like there is a maturity i think to their songwriting in this album and Corey's. Um, lyrics that didn't exist in past albums really well yeah you're you're right like i didn't think about it in those terms but it definitely evolved there's definitely like especially with like vermilion where it's it's still a little like teenager why don't you love me (laughs) but like it overall 
they he did evolve a lot to make this album what it is and that might be why this album won grammys because he really dragged nine or eight other dudes into this genre like okay listen if we're gonna be part of this we got to be part of it like we have to actually evolve we have to actually like commit to being artists and not that they didn't commit before but it feels more like okay musical talent is what we need to show not that we're just badass crazy people but now we need to show the world what we are capable of and i i really feel like this album is their example of that and it's also aging, right? Because when you're in your late 20s or whatever, early 30s, it's a lot easier to do that type of music you're doing in those first two albums. Like a lot of them are single and they're all just, you know, they were living lives that were, uh, you know, again, unsustainable. Mm-hmm. But when you start looking at this album, a lot of them have kids, a lot of them are married. Like it's a different approach to life. Like you're just not that young person anymore. And it feels like, a slipknot that is somehow managing to become more mature and evolved, despite the fact it's nine guys in jumpsuits and clown masks. Right. <laughs> well, um, the next song is called welcome, which I think is like part two to this story that they started with circle. And the, this song is probably my least favorite song on the album, but man, will it melt your face off? I put it at number 11. So yeah, for me, it was, I think maybe, yeah, it was the lowest ranked of kind of the heavier tracks. Mm-hmm. And it's one that, it's got a decent co- uh, hook. It's got a decent chorus. Not a great chorus, though. And I think that's something that Slipknot usually nails are very strong choruses. Um, I just like the part where Corey starts doing the welcome to the, you know, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And it just starts repeating that section over the Joey Jordanson speed drums. That section kind of brings the song to life for me. Mm-hmm. But... Not one of the more uh, memorable ones. And I think, I feel like there's a, maybe a word used in the uh, chorus of this song they would not have used now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. We don't need to repeat it, but <laughs> this one is the most uh, problematic, I guess, just if you're worried about word policing. So yeah, this one is, I feel like Corey took a step back from the writing process of this one. It was like, let's let the, the instruments talk. And he is the man who saves the songs when it's just instruments, like him coming in with those hooks, especially in the next song, like absolutely saves it from where it was going. And this song does not get saved by Corey Taylor. <laughs> Um, no, and it's interesting, like, this was a very fraught um, recording process for this album, where, like, the band was very divided, the band was not getting along at all, and half of them went off and started making a whole other side project during the recording of this album. Really? There's, like, what? Clown, yeah, Clown, Corey, um, and I, I, I can't remember, there was, like, two others, I think, that went with them, maybe Sid, um, the DJ, went with them, and they were putting together more of some sort of, like, I don't know, like more atmospheric kind of album, more of a, more of that, I guess, maybe haunted kind of, you know, uh, rock music. And then the band got back on the same page and, you know, they worked together. But I wonder how much of that sort of influence coming from those four is working into some of the songs on this album. And uh, they've promised that that album will come out one day of what they recorded, but uh, I'm not holding my breath <laughs> yeah it's been a long time <laughs> so yeah. i didn't even know they did that but i imagine that would piss some people off like i'm doing a podcast with three other people now and uh like when i'm like okay so this person's gonna talk to me on this episode that's like by ourselves and everyone's like dude 
did we upset you? Like, are you mad at me? So, like, if if imagine that with nine people, and then like six of them are like, "But wait, where are you guys going?" <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I would feel some kind of way about that for sure. Like, there's a, uh, I watched this video where Joey Jordanson went and hung out with Corn, and the drummer of Corn wasn't there, so Joey Jordanson was just standing in, and they were all like, "Wow, he's so much better than our drummer." <laughs> like I can't imagine what that drummer felt like watching Joey Jordanson step behind his kit. Was that the original corn drummer? I think so, yeah. Well, he's not there anymore, so Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the next song on this album is Vermilion, which is a song I always forget exists, and then when I listen to it, like I just pound it into the ground. I'm like, oh yeah, this song's fucking awesome. But your initial experience with the song is not awesome from my experience what do you think of vermilion yeah i remember way back in 2005 this was not one of my favorite songs on the album Mm-mm. and it's since become i think one of the best i've actually put it at number five i think like in terms of the atmospherics of this song in terms of i know cory taylor's a big horror movie fan and it almost feels sometimes like a horror movie narration like the type of thing you'd see in a tr- or hear in a trailer and the way he talks his way through the song is really phenomenal. Yeah, he uh, he definitely puts off some serial killer vibes with this one. Yeah, so this song, when I listened to it, was I was like, man, this song blows. Like I was super not impressed with it until Corey came in and saved it with the uh, I won't let this build up inside of me. Oh my God. It's so good. And then I was like, yeah, this is who I am. I'm always so depressed and I'm interested in this girl, but the only thing I like is upsetting her. <laughs> it's like, I totally related to this song, but now that I'm an adult and I listen to it, it's like the beginning of the song. I can definitely live without, but man, does it end well. Where do you put this one in your power rankings? You said number three. Yeah. I put it number five. Yeah. Mm. And I think part of it is too, that I think this is also Corey admitting that he's really a messed up guy and that like, it almost feels like he's acknowledging past relationships and expressing how he felt, but also allowing the audience to judge how he felt, you know, Mm -hmm. in those, in those moments, like it does, it feels like someone kind of letting their guard down to be like, I'm kind of a screwed up guy. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm going to get this across in a very dark, almost gothic rock song or metal song. And uh, it's one that I remember seeing them do this song live on their, um, their um, subliminal um, tour. And they would do this one in the the clear see-through masks that they had in the um, video. Mm -hmm. And it was just, they would put on kind of a whole production number around the song. And it was very effective as sort of, you know, heavy metal theater. And I think the song works visually like it's one of the best videos slipknot's done um and even when you listen to it it does conjure up images so i think it's a pretty impressive song artistically yeah i mean i've definitely learned to love it so this one's this one's up there pretty high for me at this point too i didn't really give them numbers for the power ranking but this one's up there really high and of course the next one is up there this is probably what i'm gonna put like behind when i give the brief history and that song is called pulse of the maggots um i already kind of told you where my roots are with this song is like other than seeing duality on tv this is when i was like oh shit slipknot yeah what do you think of pulse of the maggots so i think we're a little split on this one i mean look as i said up top i love pretty much every song on this album so even if something gets a low number it's kind of like the difference between like a 
five star and a three and a half star kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I put this one at number nine. Um, and I think for me, the reason I did that was, okay, we can say up front, the intro to this song is incredible. It is really mm-hmm. rousing stuff. I love it. I think the reason that I hold a couple points against this one is Slipknot has done a number of songs that are geared towards kind of amping up the fan base, right? You know, Surfacing is the greatest example of that from the first album. People Equal Shit is another. Um, Even Heretic Anthem. I feel like this one, despite the fact they named it Pulse of the Maggots, (laughs) didn't quite live up to its intentions. Like, I feel like their intention with this song was to create an ongoing fan anthem that would become a staple of the live shows. And I, it didn't really like, I know they played it a few times, but it doesn't feel like one that connected in the way that I think it was supposed to see. Yeah. I don't think you're wrong. I also wrote like, this would be one hell of an anthem, but the fact they don't play it regularly is weird to me because I felt like they would start every concert with this song. I feel I would, but if it didn't, if it didn't translate that well to like people responding to it, I could see why they didn't. Yeah, I wonder if it's like when you're looking at, you know, surfacing is like the be- like the biggest sing-along chorus for fans, right? It is one where they want to scream it right back at the band. I don't mm-hmm. know that the chorus for Pulse of the Maggots really invites that as well. Yeah, it's, it's fucking hardcore, though. Like, I don't know. Would you consider yourself a maggot? I guess we're both maggots, aren't we? I... It's one of those things. I've never been someone in my life that can really... Um, if there's like a term to define a fan, I'm always like, well, I don't know. I have so many other interests that I, I can't commit to one thing. Like if I say I'm a maggot, I don't know. I'm a fan of lots of other bands too. Yeah. So I guess just the fact if anyone listened to this episode, hearing me spout all this, you know, moments with Slipknot over the course of my life, they would say, well, clearly yes. So I guess in terms of sort of the, um, the, the, the knowledge and the fandom of just following the band and being excited by the band, yeah, but in terms of defining myself as a fan of any one thing, no. Yeah, yeah. Like you can pro I don't particularly like the uh the insane clown posse, but I feel like you can like that band and not be a juggalo. So you can like Slipknot and not be quote unquote a maggot. But like I always wanted the shoes, you know what I mean? The slipknot shoes, they looked cool as shit, but I never ended up getting them. Did you have those? I did not, but you know, I am someone who every time they redesign their masks is like eagerly waiting to see the new mask reveals and determine where, how, you know, how I feel about (laughs) those masks in comparison to the previous ones. By the way, got to say volume three, Corey mask is one of the worst Corey masks. (laughs) That one's like the, the gimpy one, right? It's sort of just like, um, almost like a demon face kind of thing or it almost looks like the mummy actually it reminds me a little bit of like the boris karloff mummy look oh yeah that's the one where his like skin is peeling off his face is what he's going for and the dreadlocks no the dreadlocks were the first two the dreadlocks is the first two albums and then he lost that and this one was just like a round circular mask that fit on his face oh okay hmm i don't know if i know specifically this one then that you're talking about is he still wearing the white one with like the bullseye on his eye uh, it looks like a milk jug, kind of. That's what a lot of fans made fun of it for. It's kind of... <laughs> okay, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> yeah, it's not great either. Corey's the most, like, he takes wild swings with his masks. 
And oh, of all the bands, like a lot of the bands stick with very samey ones and just kind of change the color tinge to it. But mm-hmm. uh, Corey takes wild swings. Some pay off, some don't. I feel like this was one of the weaker ones. Yeah, it's <laughs> the I really liked the first mask that he had a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. That one in um, the All Hope is Gone one is incredible. Yeah, that one's pretty good, too. That was uh, that was when they went into their leather daddy phase. I feel like all of them were leather <laughs> for a little while. Of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the next song is called Before I Forget, and this is the one that they won a Grammy for. Uh, really solid rock song. I don't know if it's necessarily a good Slipknot song, but as far as just being a rock song, it's pretty damn good. I put it at number four because it's one that I kind of had the same attitude as you of like, I don't know, like, is this a great Slipknot song? Is it just a great mainstream rock track to get them some radio play? Cause they don't get a lot, but every time I listen to it, it just sucks me in. And mm. it is, it kind of has that chorus that I feel like pulse of the maggots needed. Like when they play before I forget in concert, that whole audience is screaming that chorus back. And I love how Corey switches up the delivery of the last line of the chorus at the end of the song. And it's just like, hell yes. I love that. I don't don't remember what that's called. Like musically, there's a thing where it's like you do the same thing over and over and then you just put a little pause. Just change it just a smidge at the end. Yeah. So good. The line about I was a creature before I could stand. And he just like switches up the delivery of that line. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, my God. Yes. It like. Oh, every time I've heard that, you know, I get almost like the chills or hearing it live is incredible. Oh, yeah. I think he jumps an octave. I don't know. He just, oh, it's excellent. Excellent. So this song is really good. They won a Grammy for best rock performance in a music video, if I'm not mistaken. for this. Uh, no, it was best metal performance. Metal performance. Right. And this is the one where they hung up their masks on all the mic stands and their faces were like blurred out. But it was like, we are more than just this crazy band that wears masks. We're also a bunch of pasty white guys. And it was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah do you remember the point in time where like their identities were like veiled in secrecy mm-hmm. yeah I, I honestly don't know if i've seen all of the band members without a mask i've seen clown and Corey and joey jordanson but that's about it i think i've seen all of them except the one that's the hardest to see is craig the sampler who wears the mask kind of the gimp mask with the nails sticking mm-hmm. out of it he's the one like the member of the band that is he he almost shuns the spotlight like it's very difficult to find any footage of him there are i think one or two photos of him without a mask online but even in like i remember on one of their dvds it had interviews with each member of the band and his was like a three second flicker of like the camera turning on and off like it's he's just not someone who speaks at all yeah hmm wonder if he's a robot. I feel like he's a robot. He could be. <laughs> no, I'll bet you he's like super boring. He's probably like an accountant type or something. And it's just like, they just hide who he is to make him seem more mysterious. I'm an elementary school principal. I just don't want them to know. <laughs> do you do you remember that episode of The Simpsons where Homer goes to rock camp? I do not. No, I'm not a big okay. guy. Yeah, and he goes in and like the Rolling Stones are there and he's like, oh my God, I'm going to be with the biggest rock stars. And there's like a section where it shows like Mick Jagger in his office, like figuring out how to save money on the budget for the band. He's like, you know, if we switch to this brand of oatmeal, we can actually save this percentage of our money, you know, of our food budget. (laughs) I feel like that's what Craig is with Slipknot. He's the one they present (laughs) as like the mysterious one, but he's like the guy just sitting there doing like calculations on their, you know, costs behind the scenes. 
I mean, that could be him. That sounds funny <laughs> as shit, though. Um, so the next song is called Vermilion Part 2, which is a recycle acoustic version of Vermilion. Um, do you have... I feel like it kind of pales because Pulse of the Maggots was like... Wait, what did I write? Uh, part 2 is so much less intense than most of the album, and it like threw me. So like, how do you feel about Part 2, Vermilion? I actually really love Vermilion Part 2. I have it at number six. And it's actually below Vermilion now. That was not the case when I first started listening to this album. I thought Vermilion Part 2 was one of the standout tracks for me. I really appreciate like the melancholy sound to it. It's something that with all the soundscapes of Vermilion Part 1 kind of gets buried. Sometimes sometimes it's the emotion. And I've kind of switched around on Vermilion over the years. But at the time, I very much appreciate how... It was very stripped down. It was just the simple melody and letting Corey's voice do the like the real heavy lifting. Yeah, and like I suck at guitar. Like I have been playing guitar for like 15 years and I am terrible. I can play chords. I used to be able to solo, can't solo anymore. This song is the only song on this album where I'm like, I could definitely play that. <laughs> so well, it has a very like simple sound to it, but it's also, I feel the acoustic track between that and um, Circle, this is the one that actually lands for me. Mm-hmm. Of the two, this is far superior for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the next song is called The Nameless, and this song is terrifying. <laughs> yes, this is my number three. This is a song that's, yeah, this one was more polarizing. I've seen, I was looking up lists of, uh, you know, ranking the songs on this album. And like, sometimes this song got like people's worst song on the on the album. Really? For me, yeah, it's the transition shifts in this one going back and forth between like some of the most brutal music on the album. Like this is Slipknot Unleashed merging into almost like radio pop. It's <laughs> really, really fascinating. That's true. And it, it like this song goes like acoustic at one point, And it's it, the only thing that makes it creepy at that point is like the clownish keyboards that are coming through and shit. I don't know. I listened to it with headphones on in a dark room and I was like, I'm uncomfortable. I've heard this 10,000 times, but this is like a legit frightening horror show. Well, it feels also like um, like a multiple personality song where it is. Corey, you know, it's a relationship song and it's that difference between someone who's kind of dealing with, uh, you know, melancholy emotions switching into something that's very dark and almost internal. Like it's like the rage in his head sort of thing. And it, it's a very, very dark, bleak song yeah. played sometimes with like the most catchy, like, you know, like almost radio friendly chorus. Like it really is a, a fascinating song. It's one of my favorites. And It was one that did jump out to me very early on, and I've just continued to appreciate it over the years. I feel like between this song and the last song on the album, that was when they were really, really experimenting and doing some weird shit. But in between there is the virus of life. And I wrote that this is equally, if not more terrifying, (laughs) but uh, I feel like they would play this song like when they're resetting the stage or something between sets and i called it grimy ass bass whatever that means <laughs> like makes it puts your head into a prison cell almost and uh yeah that was I, I like this level of experimentation with them where did you rank this one i put it at number eight so it falls kind of right in the middle there and it 
is an album closer that I've always really loved. I, I wasn't crazy about the 15-minute song Iowa at the end of the Iowa album. Yeah. <laughs> which I felt kind of just spun off into directions where I'm like, am I still listening to a song or am I just like listening to guys like, you know, mess around on <laughs> whatever mm-hmm. instruments they have, you know, it just mm-hmm. kind of felt a little bit um, unwieldy. Whereas like the virus of life is intense. And what I love about it is it never really speeds up. It is just a slow moving dirge of a song that never loses its intensity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Because it like this song is an experimentation of mi- what makes Slipknot who they are, and um, then it gets then it gets real weird with the final song on the album, "Danger Keep Away," and this song does something interesting where it makes a woman crying sound melodic. <laughs> I don't know. I've never heard it in anything since or before. <laughs> Yeah, I ranked that song Danger Keep Away at number 13. Um, Again, when you're an album closer and you're just kind of a brief snippet, you're not going to compete with uh, a lot of the great songs on the album. Um, I appreciate this one a little more than Prelude, I think, at this point. Um, And that has largely to do with just Corey's delivery. Like, it Mm -hmm. feels like it's leaving this album. It's not leaving on a definitive statement. I feel a lot of Slipknot albums end on, like, this is who we are, (laughs) you know, end, you know. Yeah, Whereas this, this one, like, go ahead. Well, it ends with sort of amb- some ambiguity going on in terms of where Corey's feeling at the end of this album. Um, and I guess you could make the argument like, I don't know, should the virus of life been the last song because it feels so experimental. It is that dirge, that very, very grungy sounding song. Would that have been maybe the, the darker way to go out? Probably. But I appreciate that we go out on a, would you say it's hopeful or it's it's melancholy but it feels like someone that's going to continue forward to maybe deal with their emotions um but also the fact it's called danger keep away is also acknowledging like i'm a broken person i have a lot of problems stay away from me yeah that's what it feels like to me is like i'm a broken person stay away from me and it like it's almost like if you're watching dexter and then out of nowhere he decides to like kill or harm somebody really close to him and it's like this is just who i am like i I hurt people and that's really what the vibe i get from this song especially since there's a woman crying in the background and he's just like oh i don't know how i feel anymore like that's really what it feels like and i don't know it's i i like it i think it's pretty eloquent as far as like getting the message across like i am fucked up so i like it but it's definitely is definitely riding the coattails of bother from the mm-hmm. Spider-Man soundtrack. Yeah. Um, did you ever hear the full length version of this song? Uh, that depends. How long is it? Like six, seven minutes or something? Nope. Never heard it. <laughs> okay. So they did put out an expanded version of this album. Um, you know, s- several months. That used to be the double dip thing they used to do where they would put out the album again, like six months later with like three extra songs. Mm-hmm. And it had, um, Two, two like actual you know normal slipknot songs one called scream and one like called scream don't get close scream is so awesome yes. don't get close is maybe lesser don't get close is okay you can understand why it's a b-side but mm-hmm. they did uh there was a longer version of danger keep away and i think the shorter version is much better i think it actually sums up the feelings kind of the emotional state of Corey taylor by the end of this album and where the band feels they are 
Um, Danger, keep away the extended version. Like, <laughs> it segs into just a part where Cloud is just going, Danger, keep away. Oh, Danger, no. <laughs> keep away. <laughs> and you're like, no, 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 no. Too much, too much. <laughs> back up, back up. <laughs> yeah, I, I would not enjoy that one as much either. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's a little ridiculous. <laughs> like, I always feel like Slipknot are a band that's always playing on the verge of parody. Like, they are just a step away from being a complete, you know, like, laughing joke. Kind of like a spinal tap in, you know, masks and jumpsuits. But they always manage to pull themselves back and they just kind of operate in a very uh, intense kind of dark, you know, mode that doesn't quite collapse. You know, ICP, you can argue, collapses. Um I would say Slipknot hasn't yet, and I somehow doubt they will this many years in. Yeah. Um, I feel like when you start sagging into danger, keep away, that's when you <laughs> that's when you tiptoe into parody. Yeah. Like, uh, do you remember the band Lordy, where it was like the oh, yeah. people that were pretending to be Slipknot? Essentially, they were one of the headliners at Ozfest when I went, and they were terrible because they are a joke. Like that is like they, they have crossed that line into parody. And they have recent since then gotten disgraced because they just lip synced. But um, they uh, they actually had a movie that they were the monsters in the movie. Very silly. But um, yeah, so like that's a good example of if Slipknot had fucked up, they'd have gone that direction. But I don't think they did. I'm glad you brought up Lordy because that was actually an early comparison point for Slipknot was actually Guar. Um, mm-hmm. Guar were a mass band and Lordy is pretty much the I think they're from Finland, aren't they? Somewhere Lordy, like I think, yeah. yeah, they're like the Finnish kind of, um, you know, I don't want to say copycat because they have their own, you know, sound and songs or whatever, but they are very similar to a Guar. And I think like Guar, they knew that there was a joke. Like they were in on the joke and they wanted the audience to be in on the joke as well and have fun. Mm-hmm. I think Lordy's in on the joke somewhat, somewhat, maybe less so than Guar, but Slipknot is like, there's no joke. How dare you? (laughs) We will punch you in the face if you make a joke about us. Like, yeah, they're very serious. Um, Yeah. So uh, the name of this show is The Disc Dump. So I am deciding whether or not this disc is worth keeping or if I should get rid of it because we live in a digital era where you don't need to own physical copies of things. What do you think? Do you think I should keep it or dump it? Oh, this is so tough because, as you said, we live in a physical era. So it's like, how do you tell anyone to keep a CD? Yeah, right. <laughs> to play to, to play on what exactly? Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of if you're going to maintain a collection and you want a hard copy collection, it's pretty hard for me to say Purge Volume 3. I, I think... When we look at this band as a whole, Volume 3 is probably their artistic high point. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it kind of falls into the, like, if you're talking about Metallica, are you saying hang on to Master of Puppets? Because clearly it's like, you know, that or End Justice for All are like the greatest Metallica albums. But at the same point, you have them on, on MP3s you're listening to on your phone. So right. if you're keeping the, if you want to compile a collection... I think volume three is probably a keep since I kept it in my car for so long. It was just always a staple in my life. Like, well, there's always slipknot and 
I just really adore this album so much. I still have a CD player in my car. I don't use it much. And I have a Walkman for episodes of this show. I put it in a Walkman and I listen to it on that shit because it feels like classic is necessary. So I do have two ways at least. And I have Playstations and stuff I could put it in. So I could listen to this CD at any point in time, regardless of having my phone out. But it just has such a special place in my heart. I think I'm going to keep this one. I know the feeling, though, because I have a bunch of CDs in storage as well that I will go through periods where I'm like, I got to get rid of all of these. I got to just give them all to a thrift store or whatever. And then I like start to like flip through them. and I'm like, oh, my God, the special edition. I remember going to the CD store that day to get whatever album it is. I, I remember I have the disturbed one for Believe with like the solid metal album cover. And it's like I had to pay like eight extra dollars or something mm-hmm. and it's like how do i give this up how can i give this away even mm-hmm. though i haven't played this physical copy in like 15 years or 10 years or whatever so i i know the feeling for sure mm-hmm. that's that's the theme of the whole show is i'm like but i want to get rid of it for pretty much everything <laughs> so but this one definitely makes the cut we are definitely keeping volume three the subliminal verses Nice. So I met you because you are one of the hosts of the Spy Hearts podcast. I really enjoy your show. I never thought about spy as a genre before I listened to your show, but you guys do a really great job of panning through some things that you wouldn't think of, some things that you would think of, and I think that your show is excellent. You hold up with all the big names out there, and even though we're indie podcasts, you guys do a really great job doing what you do so i recommend highly to the audience please check out spy hearts they're really good and i'm on an episode of it where i make fun of kevin hart so that one's pretty fun (laughs) i thought that episode was a lot of fun and we took a movie that we did central intelligence with you and that's a, a movie you could kind of dismiss and be like well what is there to say about a 2016 you know modestly successful um, you know, Dwayne Johnson, Kevin Hart movie. And I think we had a lot of fun talking about that one and pointed out a lot of moments that, um, you know, uh, maybe don't get a lot of discussion in pop culture. And we actually did a follow-up episode on your episode where we interviewed the director of that movie. Yeah, we I didn't was know we were... he was going to hear what I was saying in the episode before. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was something where it was total surprise. Um, and genuinely hearing him talk about the process of making that film made me appreciate a lot of the decisions made decisions that maybe didn't work for me or work for us talking about the movie, but nonetheless um, made me really um, a lot of movies, you know, when you're looking at say a Christopher Nolan movie, you're like, Oh, what did he want to do? Obviously his intention was so important behind every single scene. And we look at maybe a goofy movie with Dwayne Johnson and say, I'm sure they just kind of had fun with this one. Mm-hmm. And hearing the director actually talk about the decision-making behind scene to scene was actually really insightful. And something we want to do going forward is to bring on directors or, you know, filmmakers, um, whatever the department to talk about their contributions to even movies we don't like, because sometimes that can have an impact on how we look at these movies. Yeah. I mean, I fucking love it. So um, you also have shared with me that you have a second podcast that I never, ever hear you talk about. You have a Star Trek podcast? I actually have two other podcasts. Oh, um, shit. So, Let's hear yeah. So I do uh, the Star Trek one is called Subspace Transmissions. Um, I've done that one since 2014. It's weekly. And um, we just mostly jump around topic to topic. So we've recently done like uh, ranking the recurring characters on Star Trek or 
Uh, we did a fun episode actually with my um, SpyHard uh, co-host, Scott Hardy. We actually did a pair of episodes. We did compiling the best season of Star Trek ever, where we had to pick, for example, episode, we did uh, 27 episodes. And say your episode three pick had to be an episode that aired third in a season across any of the franchises. Whoa, that's some serious fandom, bro. <laughs> yeah. So we compiled the greatest season and then we came back and did the worst ever season of Star Trek imaginable. So we kind of bounce around. We also do coverage of Discovery, Picard, Lower Decks when they're on the air. We do those week to week. Um, and then I actually do another one called Arnie Geddon, which is an Arnold Schwarzenegger podcast. It's been on hiatus during the pandemic because my co-host... Um, we like to do those ones live and in person. We just mm-hmm. find it's just a more satisfying experience. So it'll come back when the pandemic's over. But yeah, that sounds excellent. <laughs> and I'm going to definitely check those out because I'm not a huge Star Trek guy, but you guys seem like you're really into it. And anyone who's passionate about something, I can learn to appreciate what they appreciate. So I feel like I would really like your Star Trek podcast, too. And that was called the what was it called? I'm sorry. The subspace transmissions, subspace transmissions. And then, of course, everyone loves fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger. If they wanted to hear more of you, what would they type in on their little pod chaser thing? Um, well, I would say, you know, check out Spy Hearts. That's, you know, obviously one we've been working really hard on lately. Um, and then, yeah, subspace transmissions or Arnie Geddon, whatever you prefer. You know, that's why I say it's hard for me to define myself as a maggot because clearly I have a lot of other interests as well. Like, am I, am I a Trekkie? Am I a, I don't know, Arnie head or whatever the term is for that. Um, you know, a spy hard, uh, it's up to you. I'm everything and nothing all at once. One last question about heavy metal and then we'll move into the final thing. Have you ever heard of Austrian death machine? Oh, they're the, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, like yeah, tribute band, right? The, the, as I lay dying, band like the lead singer he just does everything he does all the drums and guitars and shit and it's like heavy metal arnold schwarzenegger quotes fucking hilarious you should definitely check them out if you haven't listened to them we actually got an email from a listener on arnie geddon um we'd always planned at some point to do a musical episode where we talk about arnie's best musical moments and some of the stuff he's done outside of that and uh they brought that to our attention so at some point in the future we will have our you know musical arnie episode that will touch on that (laughs) that's fantastic um okay audience so i changed up the theme song for this episode because we're talking about heavy metal so i want to thank the band memoria for the use of the song demeter off of their ep daughter of the seasons excellent music it was my first theme song for this show i'm glad that i'm able to bring it back sometimes and they they happily let me use it as long as i'm spreading the word of memoria so definitely check them out they do not currently tour because of issues with like keeping the band together or whatever but they still have really excellent music online that you can buy on Bandcamp or whatever so that's memoria demeter if you want to get a hold of me, you can email me discdumppod at gmail.com. That's D-I-S-C-D-U-M-P-P-O-D at gmail.com. Don't forget that little PP in there. It's important. On Twitter, I'm at the Distump. Instagram, Distump Podcast. Facebook, Distump Podcast. Fans is a group that you can join and see my stupid memes and all kinds of other good stuff like that. Alrighty, Cam, what are we recommending to the audience? Well, let's keep it with the tone of the episode. Why don't we recommend Slipknot's latest album, We Are Not Your Kind? which I I feel was a bit of a bounce back. I liked the gray chapter, which was the previous album, but it wasn't, it didn't hit the heights of some of their past work. Whereas I would say this new one, 
really does deliver. And if you are a fan of what's on volume three, I think you'll really dig. We are not your kind. Awesome. I'm definitely going to check it out. I'm, I'm so hardcore into Slipknot right now. <laughs> All right, Cam. Thank you so much for doing this episode with me. Oh, anytime. It was a lot of fun. All right, on. Okay, audience. Until next week. Toodles.